Welcome to the Mojo Mecca. We are a media, wellness and artistry hub that is in celebration of the earth. Inspired to live in a mindful, health-filled way. Humbled by the depths of inner exploration and the power of practicing daily ritual. In love with the beauty of cultures worldwide and the adventurous nature of travel and dedicated to a life of heart-centeredness, purposeful pursuits, and a whole lot of mojo. In this conversation, I chat to a dear friend, Tristan Bray. He's the founder of a powerfully beneficial modality called attunement therapy, whereby clients are simply safely held by the practitioner. Yes, it seems simple, but As we explore through this conversation, miraculous healing through touch can actually be this simple and this quick and this effective. So attunement therapy's mission is to de-radicalize human touch, basically, and to help create a new culture where non-sexual intimacy is normalized as a common sense pathway to healing. And globally, obviously, in this climate that we're in, If we just take a a quick glance at the worsening state of loneliness, depression, drug use and suicide all around us, we can see that physical human connection really is the way to repair and enrich one's life. And essentially, as a human species, we are wired for connection and we become unbalanced on all levels if we don't receive this. So we touch on this in our conversation and also speak about what safe touch can do to people in terms of healing past trauma, balancing emotions, becoming more sensitive and helping our immune systems. Um, We touch on the current global state and um, yeah, just in regards to distancing and isolation and how detrimental this really is to us as a species. We chat about how seeking non-stop pleasure actually can make us more unable to feel happy. We talk about the power of creativity, hobbies, wu-wei, the power of nature and of helping our wider community, the medicinal quality of plants in helping us move through certain aspects of ourselves and touch our state of happiness and our state of balance. Um, and so much more. So I hope you enjoy and receive all you need to from this conversation. So I live in Byron Bay and, um, well, I used to live in Byron Bay in town. And as we all know, Byron Bay has changed a little bit and it's gotten pretty, pretty busy. And, um, so I live in Upper Wilson's Creek in the rainforest, which in itself is a really interesting experience because the more we move away from, um, cell phone towers, um, in particular, and, you know, where I live now, I actually don't have Wi-Fi or a, I don't even use a phone, like a cordless phone in the house. So there's no signals in the house and there's no phone reception. And so you're, you're just really tuning into the forest every day and getting used to what birds are around and what's happening and what's flowering and, you know, just getting moving into this, you know, the seasons of the year. And what I didn't know could happen to me during this process is you get more and more sensitive to, to nature and more and more tuned in. And, and sometimes, you know, you go to town and towns, 
kind of overwhelming or you go to the Gold Coast or you go to an airport and it's like, like for me going to an airport used to be just fine. But now the way I am now, an airport is actually a really intense environment for me. And it's, it's not that I'm less fortified. I'm just way more tuned into energies that are not pro-life, I guess. And, um, you know, the way they treat you like a sheep and all the security and all the intensity and all the emotions and things like that. And so, yeah, living up here, you get pretty sensitive. And um, another thing that's making me really sensitive is my work. And um, again, that's something else I didn't know um, that would make me sensitive. Like I grew up in New Zealand in like a, like a rugby crazed, stoic, hardcore place, kind of like Australia, really. And um, we're, where you know men and boys are taught to be non-emotional and to to basically harden up to deal with any emotional issue just to completely always compartmentalize and push emotion into your body and pretend it's not there and um, this was normal like I grew up thinking that to be to be non-emotional and not need help was a measure of success you know I remember one time I was was at a, a primary school disco when I was like eight and I saw my friend, like my male classmate, he was getting a cuddle from his dad. It was like the end of the night, you know, everyone's going home. And I remember looking at him and just gloating, just being like, oh, you need cuddles. Like, that's just pathetic. And to see that I'd, me not needing cuddles was like a virtue, you know, that kind of hardness. And, um, you know, I had two brothers, so that, you know, that kind of environment at home. And, um, yeah, there's just this normalized stoicism and, a lot of my work now is, is about, it's about touch. I, I hold people. I've created a, a healing modality called attunement therapy and um, I hold people and I also travel around the world teaching people this modality. So it's, you know, it's like a touch based medical system. I, I hold people for about 90 minutes and they listen to my heartbeat. That's how we do it. And you're, you're tuning into their emotions, you know, and the more you're in contact with people in general, like especially physical contact, um, what physical contact does is it, tells your body that your emotions are welcome especially if it's safe physical contact you know and um so more and more of my life there's a lot of safe physical contact which means more and more of my compartmentalized emotion from my history from my past has been coming up but it also means that your your baseline availability of emotion is way higher so you're you're more emotional all the time and you know um, emotion, energy, and motion supposed to move. You're supposed to feel it. And one of the ways I realized this is like, I'd watch a movie after doing a lot of attunement therapy, you know, I'd watch a movie that I'd seen. I've seen it. I know what's going to happen, but you know, and then it, the movie's playing and I get really emotional. Like it's romantic or it's scary. I'm just like, Oh my God. And I know that I've seen it. And last time I saw it, it didn't affect me. And so it's like, I've changed. The movie hasn't changed. I've changed. And it's, it's really interesting to come back into, I guess what I could say is like normal emotional processes for a human body. But the way I was brought up is that these emotions were not welcome because being emotional was seen as, um, you know, a societal failure really, especially for men. And um, in our culture, a lot of us don't become, we don't get emotional um, because we don't want to be rejected. You know, it's like, oh, that person's having a, a freak out or they're crying or something like that. And um, so some people get funny around emotion. And so a lot of us don't want to be rejected um, because our, our social or our, our connections with other people, whether it's family or a, 
you know, a community. We don't want to be rejected. And um, because for, for our body as a, as a, as a human evol through evolution, if we're rejected or cast out from our family or community or tribe or clan, generally um, it means death. Um, especially say for white folks, a lot of us grew up in, you know, sorry, our, our genetics come from parts of Europe where it was very cold in winter. And that means to survive, um, you needed to live it as a part of a community or a family where you are taking care of each other to store food through the winter and do these sorts of things where if you get cast out, you probably can't survive in that environment by yourself. So we have this thing where we don't want to be cast out because genetically it means death because you're not going to survive out there on your own. So often um, in a society where we don't tolerate much, much emotion, we, um, we just, we just don't let it out because it's, we, it can mean you're going to be rejected, you know? So a lot of my work is about helping people um, get in touch with their emotion and we use, we use touch. And um, yeah, for me in my life, I mean, I've had, a, I've had some pretty, um, some pretty neat experiences that have kind of steered me in this direction with trauma therapy. And uh, yeah, like I was a pretty average kid at school. I was, I was the, I was the, I was the fat kid in the class actually. I, I got, I got bullied a lot at school and um, up until about age 12. And um, you know, I was definitely um, below average in school academically. And then I, I had a, a school teacher when I was 11, 11 years old. He was from um, Boulder, Colorado. And he was an exchange teacher who came to New Zealand for a year. And um, he just really, I don't know, I don't know why or what was going on, but he really believed in me uh, in a really, a, in, a, in a way, in a manner that I was not, I wasn't used to. And his, his like, you know, the, his stories and his techniques in the classroom made me feel really good about myself. And, um, within a few years, I was like in the top of my classes. Um, I'd lost heaps of weight. I was, you know, competing and running and all kinds of things and rock climbing and kayaking. And, and I really, I really enjoyed my time at high school. Like I really, I really, I really did. And, um, and, you know, it just made me realize that someone, for, for, for children and teenagers, um, like school teachers and mentors and stuff like that can just make such a massive difference for someone who's struggling. And just, I've just got so much respect for like school teachers, you know, who are doing, doing their best. And uh, there's a lot of school teachers in New Zealand and Australia who I'm, who I know who've quit because the, the regulations and the curriculum are so difficult to navigate through, you know, the things that they have to teach, which they, that they know, they know is bullshit. You know, it's really, it's really difficult um, for school teachers and, you know, they're definitely doing their best. And yeah, I think, um, you know, late teens, I started getting into um, psychedelics, um, magic mushrooms, San Pedro cactus, that kind of thing. And, um, you know, plants, that was what was kind of available in New Zealand. And it just changed everything. It just changed my perception on everything. And straight away, I could see that at that time in my life, we were under a huge amount of pressure to go to university and um, massive pressure. And they, our school teachers and school principal were saying things like, you know, if you don't go to university, you're going to work at a gas station. That's it. And there was almost like these threats, you know, and looking at the university system around how much debt you get in as well. And how long it's going to take to get out of this debt. And so you need to choose something like choose something now, 
that you're going to study and, mm. and it's the rest of your life. And then you're going to get a job and pay off all this debt and then you're going to be happy or something. And my view on it all after having psilocybin mushrooms was like, oh, there's something fishy about all this. There's something not quite right. I was about to go do like an engineering degree, you know, because I was being told to. And I was like, nah, this doesn't, this doesn't seem quite right. Like, why are we supposed to choose right now? Like, we're like 17, 18. Why are we supposed to choose a degree now? We don't even know much about ourselves or what we're interested in. And there's a huge amount of pressure on society for young people to choose at this age, as opposed to kind of going out into the world and discovering themselves first and discovering their interests in a, in a natural, unrushed way. And so, yeah, I said no. And I actually, um, I flew to far north Queensland um, with a group of friends and we hung out in the tropics. Um, and I spent like maybe uh, three or four winters up there and then summers in New Zealand. And, you know, meanwhile, I had friends, you know, who are, you know, freezing in student flats in like Dunedin in the south of New Zealand, you know, on a very you know, small budget for, you know, your accommodation, your food and, very difficult environments um, for, for university students in New Zealand. And, um, and then we're up, you know, we're climbing co coconut trees and like swimming on the Great Barrier Reef. And we had more money than we knew what to do, do with um, just, just working in cafes and stuff. And living in a place like that and also living, living with, um, I lived in a backpackers and got to connect with people from all over the world and really discover the world and discover myself and, you know, started doing more and more traveling. And, um, yeah, for me, one of the most pivotal times for discovering what I'm doing here in this body was I went and lived in China for the best part of a year in the West and the mountains. And I saved some money and I went over there and I just cultivated a lifestyle of pretty much doing as little as possible. And, uh, in our culture here, we have a kind of obsession with busyness. You know, everyone's like trying to do lots of stuff and get lots done. There's so much to do. And I just, I, I was very busy before I left to China. I was, I was running restaurants and a very busy social life and surfing and music and traveling and everything like that. And it just, I knew there was something wrong. There was a disturbance in the force. You know, I had a great house and horses and surfboards and no, 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 everything. You know, just, life was just perfect. I was like, I'm not learning anything. This is just too easy. So I just got rid of it all and just went to China and would just, just wouldn't do anything. I'd walk around in the, on, in the mountains and drink tea and hang out with Chinese people. And um, when you create space in your life, your, your true nature starts to come through you. If you're too busy and there's no time, your true nature doesn't have time to come through you because either you don't notice it happening or there's just, you're too exhausted. You're too stressed. So it's removing, removing that stress and that busyness. And this is where real, a true self sort of comes through. And I, I, I would just have ideas and I'd write them down. You know, this was, I didn't really have the internet. Um, this was like 2011 and a lot of the internet is blocked in China. Anyway, you can't go on Facebook or anything. And I just really kind of got into you know, who I wanted to be really. And, um, I really recommend that to people, you know, it's one of the, it's one of my like strong bits of advice, um, for young people is to like cultivate, you know, like a year off sometime, you know, as early as possible after high school where you just, 
you don't do anything and just, just discover yourself, you know, as much as you can. Um, you know, traveling is good too, but I, I really, for me personally, it's staying in one place and just really tuning in like that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like when I was 20, I started studying uh, trauma therapy and different modalities. I've been doing that for, you know, 15 years. And through all this time and all this research, um, I've, you know, developed this healing modality. And a big part of that for me has been um, consistent work with um, psychedelic plant medicines and um, not, not every time that you have a plant medicine, do you have some kind of epiphany, but sometimes you do. And like, you know, some people call it a download or something like that, but these, these ideas and concepts come through that seem really matter of fact and really practical. And, um, also a few years ago, um, I, I got together with a woman who had an eight month year old child and we were together for a few years and, um, hanging out, hanging out with a baby every day and really tuning into their needs. And I was reading parenting books at the time as well. And yeah, I just had a few kind of epiphanies and, and created this healing modality and we did some trials with it. And the, the trials that we were doing in Melbourne, um, produced results far beyond any of my expectations. So straight away I knew I was onto something and did more and more research and wrote the base, basically a, a instructional manual for, for training practitioners. And um, it's just been a, a beautiful, beautiful experience just being invited to different places around the planet and, and teaching the system. That's, it's so simple. <laughs> so it's so simple. It's actually, um, it's about what you don't do to someone. So mm. essentially, you know, a lot of people who I hold, I'll give you, I'll give you like an example, like, someone someone wants to book a session with me and and i send them a document all about the healing modality so they know what it is and what what it is and what it isn't so this helps prepare their nervous system before they arrive so i'd send that maybe a week before and so this woman she's never been held by a man who hasn't hit on her ever and most women i hold this is like most this is the situation Mm-hmm. And then you have also, um, I, I hold men too, but in this situation, she, she's also had some pretty severe trauma inflicted by men as well. And so, and then most people arrive here extremely nervous. And in their body, they think this person's going to take advantage of me or this person's going to harm me. Like I could be actually in physical danger here or... Or I, or I really want to be held, but I don't deserve it. Mm. They're probably going to let me go or they don't want to hold me. And so you go through a process with them where you're holding them and their nervous system's going through all these flip-flops, all these possibilities, but none of them happen. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's pretty easy. You just, you just don't hurt them or take advantage of them. And you just, you're just consistent. And this is the way you work with babies, you know? So it's, it's, when a baby's going to sleep or you're giving attention to a baby, this is how you work with a baby. So what we do is we invoke a parental like energy with this healing modality. It's like, how would you treat your own baby? Yeah. Yeah. And see, you're just good to them. You're just good to them. And, and a lot of people leave their session kind of blown away because they didn't know that this was a, a, uh, a real experience. They didn't know that this was possible. Like especially say a woman being held by a man, that it was possible that a man could just hold her as she is, not expect anything from her, 
He's not trying to get her to do anything. And so when that, all of those um, ideas in her head or in her body, they're all, um, cause, they're all a cause of stress. You think you're in danger or you have to do something. The bodies, and they listen to your heartbeat, which helps bring them to, it helps remind them of their own parents, but it brings them more uh, to be more and more present as opposed to into these anxious kind of thought loops and flip-flops. And the more present they come and the more um, they realize that they, they actually are safe, then all of the stress hormones of the body turn off mm. and they really start to calm down. And so what the heartbeat also does is it reminds people sonically of being in the womb or being held by a parent or being when you're being breastfed. And like when they're being protected by one of your parents, everything's cool. Like for a baby that's the first nine months out of the womb, the baby thinks that they're still in the womb neurologically. So they think they are mum. And so when you're holding a newborn baby, like when a mum's holding a newborn baby, the baby thinks they are mum to the point. So, that, And this is the opposite of stress. There's this being taking care of all of my needs, which is me. And so you're in this unity consciousness. And so what our clients do is they drop into like a, a unity consciousness where they, uh, they are you, but they are all things. And uh, our, our theory here is this is mediated by a release of dimethyltryptamine in the brain, which creates this feeling of connection with all things when people have elevated DMT, sometimes through um, you know, fasting, darkness retreats, smoking DMT, ingesting DMT, things like ayahuasca. People have these types of experiences. Some people have come away from a session and they've described exactly what someone could describe an ayahuasca journey. And one of my friends calls it ayahuasca on breasts. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's that kind of thing. And so we're thinking there's a release of, it's, it's very hard to prove there's a release of DMT because it's such a subtle thing um, in the pharmacology. But yeah, people do go on journeys, you know, and this kind of thing. And people also who are very stressed can become very, very still and mm. very, very, go into a very, very deep and relaxed state. And they become more still than a person who's asleep. Their breathing slows right down and goes very quiet. And their, their body almost goes, it's almost, it goes catatonic. And what we're, what we're seeing here is that basically the brain is, is going into a very, um, very coherent and deep state of reset and rest. And for someone who's chronically stressed, they're even stressed while they're asleep. And so, People, many people's almost everyone's nervous system is craving these deep states of relaxation yeah mm. so it's it's so nourishing and yeah as the practitioner too and as the person being held you start to you you don't notice the the seams between the two bodies it becomes one body and it almost feels like you're floating like in a float tank or something like that and so yeah we think this is mediated by 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 dmt release and um yeah it's it's amazing and yeah, in, in my life here as well, like, you know, we, I, I do work extensively with, with plant medicines as well. And um, yeah, I do a lot of woodwork and a lot of creative things too. And um, yeah, yeah, life's amazing. Life's amazing mm -hmm. at the moment. I mean, you know, COVID's a, a thing. And um, but for some reason, this part of the world, it's, it's um, everything has been extremely laid back, chilled out and, you know, the community here is just incredible, you know, a lot of connection and, you know, it's, it is really heartbreaking to see the different situations, you know, even in Australia and around the world. Um, 
where you know even looking at what's been happening in South America, it's been it's been pretty bleak over there um, for a lot of people. And a lot of people, you know, not, there's not enough food or all kinds of things or, or medical care. And, um, yeah, and a lot of people under, under a, a lot of, you know, uh, difficult circumstances caused by decisions in the government that, may, you know, uh, arguably may be um, inappropriate for the situation as well. Um, especially people like... There's a statistic out of England the other day that if they go into a second lockdown, that the thousands of lives it's going to it's going to cost because of the the emotional distress of another lockdown, not mm-hmm. not from COVID. Yeah, and it's it's you're basically putting a, a population in solitary confinement. That's how they yeah. punish punish people in a prison, put them by themselves. So we're wired for connection. When you take away connection. It's it's a massive cause of depression. Mm-hmm. There's a good book by Johan Hari, Lost Connections. It's about connection, and the book is about the causes of depression. And depression is not a, a um, something you're born with. It's not a problem in your brain. It's just about your relationship to the environment and the way you're living in it. Mm-hmm. If you don't have connection with people, you're going to be depressed. And I read an article in the Age newspaper last week in, in Melbourne. And they're putting they're putting twelve year olds on antidepressants because they can't go to school. Mm. Out of desperation. Yeah, this this and that's the thing with the mainstream system. It's like, oh, these kids need connection. Obviously, I mean, it doesn't take much research to see that that's the problem. But we'll just give them antidepressants. Yeah. And that doesn't fix the situation. It just makes you numb to the situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's. That's a big thing in Australia, you know, um, and a lot of Western countries is the, the, the psychiatric, the normalization of psychiatric medis- medications, you know, is, is a massive, massive concern for me and a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm really glad that we're having this conversation like in this time too, because yeah, I think everything that you're sharing is just makes so much sense. Like, and it's, like you said, it is like more so the rate of like suicide and depression that is like the pandemic, I would say, <laughs> like for a lot of these countries that are locking down, including Australia, most like mostly um, Melbourne. But yeah. I've been thinking a lot about that too. And like you said, like we are wired for connection. And it's just so interesting that that is the way that a lot of governments are going, like is just forcing people into that solitary confinement. Like that is going to create a lot more damage than a virus would. And I often, yep. yeah, I, I haven't talked too much extensively about because obviously everyone has their different opinions on, on everything and, um, you know, lots of different conspiracies going on too. And <laughs> obviously I, like the virus is is in the world and it is real mm-hmm. but um from what i understand like you're never going to like get away from it being there and that like really how we our mm-hmm. bodies are, like get stronger to to fight um viruses is through like it being out in the world you know and you coming into contact with it in different ways and creating more of that herd immunity that comes from like just being in more so in connection to everything you know because you Mm -hmm. can hide away in your house forever but at some point you're going to have to come out and be exposed and um Yeah. yeah and it just it i reflect on like children too and how we like 
develop like immunity from a young age and like how children will like kind of, you know, taste things like on the ground, eat dirt, whatever. Like they just have that natural inclination towards like trying things out and like, I don't know the science behind that. Maybe you're more <laughs> adept with that, yeah, well, it's but it, it increases through exposure. Yeah. 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 Like it's a different, like you get a cesarean birth or a, a vaginal birth and vaginal birth, the, the, the kids have better immunity for life because they're getting a, you know, they, they're getting a bit of like um, basically getting a bit of poo on them as well because of where they're getting, being born. And that, what that does is the bacteria there actually um, accesses their entire digestive system and, and it inoculates the garden in their digestive system for life, unless they nuke it with antibiotics. Mm. And um, it's, and there's bacteria all over our skin too. That's doing really, really important things. So like, you know, it's antibacterial hand washes for a yeah. virus. It's just mind mindless. And so we, we have to have good bacteria in our body to feel good because most of the, the neuro, um, so most of the, the hormones in your brain for feeling good, uh, like serotonin and dopamine, oxytocin, almost all of it's made by bacteria in your gut. And so it's, if you don't have the, the right microbiome, then it's very hard for you. You can be depressed because your microbiome's up, you know, messed up from bad food or antibiotics or this kind of thing, you know? Mm. But yeah, I mean the, you know, all the conspiracies and stuff like that. It's, it's an interesting thing. Like, you know, human, like human connection is not a conspiracy. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, it's, we have a, a mechanistic scientific model and there's, there's a good talk about um, called the science delusion by Dr. Rupert Sheldrake. And it's, it's one of the two banned Ted talks because he has, he basically has a go at the, the dogmatic mainstream scientific system. He talks about scientific dogma and dogma being like a belief system, more like a religion and that things that don't fit into that belief system, they refuse to look at it. And mechanistic science or billiard ball science or mechanics, they like things that they can see. You can look at it under a microscope. All right, here's a virus. Here's a bacteria. And it's very hard to see human connection. It's a, it's a proximity. There's an exchange of energy. Oh, what, what, what is it? You know, mm -hmm. and this, there's people who are arguing about this. And I think it was in the eighties in when there's babies being born premature and they put in an incubator and some of them just die. And it's like, some people are like, well, look, that's the right temperature. We're giving them all of the nutrition they need, but they're dying. Yeah. And these scientists were like, Hey, look, let's, let's touch them. Like, <laughs> Oh, you know, bacteria and stuff. It's like, well, you know, Bacteria is a part of life and um, they started touching these babies. They were handling them about three times a day for 20 minutes, just stroking them and stuff, you know, and all of a sudden the, the brain started developing way faster. They put it, started putting on um, weight, you know, way faster. Everything is done to go right as if it's still in the womb. And then that, you know, it's back in the time they're doing these experiments. There's a bunch of babies that they're not touching. And those babies are like, you know, only just surviving or not surviving and they're like okay there's something again so how do we how do you quantify touch it's very hard to quantify it's like oh, i'm just going to touch this baby the baby feels you and goes oh, okay cool i'm not on my own 
the stress of being um, a premature birth and then being separated, like just, just separated from, you know, your mother and all people is so stressful that this, this stress st stops growth. The stress hormones stop growth, but it can skyrocket to the extent that the, 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 the stress kills the baby. And so the, the way I work is like this too. And we're, we're dealing with something that's, you can't quantify it. And, and it's, it's, we are all wired for connection. And like you mentioned, like um, suicide and um, there's a lot of people who, who are killing themselves because they don't want to feel what they're feeling emotionally. You know, there's, there's a process going on. They just don't know how to stop feeling like that. So they actually like, and it's usually the, the most difficult emotions. And so the most difficult emotions for the human body to deal with is, is, is guilt and shame and self-loathing basically. And so if you're feeling like that, yeah, there are different, you know, um, addictions and things you can do to maybe distract yourself from the feeling. But what most people need to do is, is that they can't, well, what most people cannot regulate the most difficult emotions by themselves mm -hmm. and being with someone helps. But the simplest way of being with someone is to be in contact with them. You know, this is, this is what we call external regulation. So you got a, a, a baby that's upset. The baby can't self-soothe you need to pick up the baby and it's going to go into an external regulation where it's using contact with you to go into an emotional process. So then it's cool. We do this as adults. Like sometimes like you're upset and you need to cry and you just can't you just, mm -hmm. you just like you feel that weight in your chest and you're in the supermarket and you see your friend and your friend's like, Oh, Hey, and they give you a hug and you start crying. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, Oh, hey, what's yeah. going on there? And it's not like, it's not like, you think about it. You're like, oh yeah, I'm getting a hug. This is good. Okay, I'm gonna let the emotions out. All right, three, two, one. I'm gonna cry. There's no decision. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's it's autonomic. It's auto automatic. Your nervous system's going. Oh, human connection, touch. Let's go because there's some shit here. It's got to come out now. It's like no way. It's not gonna stay in there. So. With, with people who are potentially suicidal and things like that, we're dealing with these really heavy emotions. If you hold their hand, give them a cuddle, give them a hug, be with them in an unrushed way. I'm not going anywhere. You are, wel like, and you are welcome and your emotions are welcome. The easiest way to tell someone their emotions welcome is not even to tell them, is to touch them. Mm. Just like that hug in the supermarket. All of you is welcome. Okay, all of me, cool. Here's some, <laughs> here's some tears and some snot, you know. Mm -hmm. And so, it's it's like that. So, people on suicide watch need to be helped. It's yeah. a no, it's a no brainer. But we have a mainstream medical system that basically is terrified of touch mm -hmm. because of um, insurance, legal, and liability issues. And a, a, um, a pharmaceutical industry or a psychiatric or, you know, psychiatric industry that is also mechanistic. Oh, you feel this way? We'll give you this drug. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like a, it's a mechanistic thing. Even though they can't look at the human brain and go, oh, yeah, this brain has schizophrenia or this brain has depression or this, you know, there's no, like, there's no test. Oh, we're going to give you a blood test to see if you've got bipolar. It's like, mm -hmm. no. It's a description and that's, the, that's how their diagnostic manual for psychiatry works is you tell someone how you're feeling and they said, oh, well, 
you've ticked all the boxes for borderline personality disorder, you know, and my manual says to give you these drugs. Mm-hmm. And it's, they're adding a mechanism, you know, and so the, the human body knows how to fix itself. The brain knows how to come back to balance. It just needs to be put in the right environment and you need to, you know, reduce stress in your life and, you know, do real things. And yeah, there's a lot of people at the moment who uh, uh, they don't have access to the right environment, especially yeah. when it comes to touch, when it comes yeah. to accessing nature, just yeah. being on the earth, like with your bare feet and in the, in the water and things like that. These are normal human things that have been taken yeah. away from people, especially in Melbourne, mm-hmm. no touch, you know, you can't do the normal things you're doing out in nature. So you're yeah. not allowed to go very far away from your house. You know? Yeah. I lived in Melbourne and I, the most I enjoyed it was when I would go out of town and go to the Grampians rock climbing or go out of town and go to the beach or, you know, go up a mountain, you know, get into nature. And yeah. that's what I needed to be able to manage myself living in a city. Yeah. Yeah. But then a lot of people are looking for that connection and, um, in, in false ways. And that's, that's by being addicted to your devices, addicted to social media. And, you know, this sort of thing's very confusing. Like you and I are talking on a video right now. And as humans, we didn't evolve with, with that. And so for, so for young kids, sometimes talking to um, someone on a video, it's actually really stressful for them because they think it's hard to kind of work out. Okay. Like you're not there. You're over there. You're not here. And I can see you and I can hear yeah. you, but our body kind of expects to be able to access the person. Hey, let's hang out. Let's do something. Okay. Let's go get a cup of tea, yeah. you know, or touch or something like that. And so it's like, it's like a, it's like a, it's almost like a fake connection really for the body. Um, and it's a lot of people, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, just you know, emails and Facebook and stuff like that. Yes, it is some connection, but often we're kind of clawing at our social media, trying to get some real touch basically. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And it's, it's a really, it's a real tricky situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's so interesting because yeah, that is kind of all people have, especially in this climate right now, you know, when you actually, a lot of people have to stay inside or, you know, there's distance and everything and, um, yep yeah so you do like you say like you claw at that trying to like receive whatever it is like answers connection like you say i think it all comes back to connection and touch but like it's yeah Mm -hmm. it's just being regulated out of (laughs) our possibilities in this moment so sad like it's just yeah it breaks my heart like Mm. what's going on right now Mm -hmm. yeah and then so everyone's really stressed yeah if you well, not everyone, but obviously um, one of the situations that's been interesting is talking to people who work for Lifeline and uh, also the amount of people who are calling, but uh, different, mm-hmm. also different call centers are working with domestic violence and um, the massive spike in domestic violence um, during lockdown. We often the, the breathing space in a relationship, you know, going to work or hanging yeah. out with your friends, um, exercising, all of the ways you're helping balance your body. Um, you know, men need a bit of time on their own to, to balance their hormones yeah. and women need a lot of connection to balance their hormones. That's you know, Dr. John Gray's work. Women are from, um, uh, men are from Mars, women are from Venus, you know? And so a, a lot of these things have been taken away. You know, a woman can't go hang out with her girlfriends. A guy can't go 
do his thing on his own, go cycling or something like that. And so there's more and more of like a, a pressure cooker in relationships. And then the kids are at home every day and, and that no one's used to that and all the demands that that's putting on. Then you've got financial things as well for a lot of people. And so there's this, per, there's this perfect um, storm for more and more basically shit going wrong and, and violence in homes. And so there's a massive amount of stress in the population and the global population and stressing a population is massively awesome for government. Hey, it's their bread and butter stressing a population because a stressed population does things that support the economy. You go out and buy stuff. You, you, you know, you spend money on alcohol, you spend money on all the different things that can help you pretend you're not stressed, whether it's Tim Tams or, you know, methamphetamines or, you know, Cabernet Sauvignon or, you know, online shopping for stuff you don't need. There's just so many different, you know, Netflix, just escapism, just like trying to escape what's going on. And one of the big things, you know, is this massive pursuit of pleasure. Um, whether, whether it's movies or porn or drugs. And, you know, if you, if you, whatever gives you pleasure, um, pleasure is a really interesting one, especially when you're, when you're really stressed, the body feels more pleasure. And when you're really stressed, the body seeks more, as more pleasure seeking. It's trying to get these pleasure seeking behaviors. And um, there's a really good book called um, The Hacking of the American Mind. It's got an iPhone on the front. And it's all about the, you know, the systems and the apps and everything like that, that give us pleasure. And the more we pursue pleasure, the more we degenerate the, um, our ability to feel happy. Mm. There's a really common, you know, saying in this kind of, in, in this kind of world with, 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 with the, um, with the psychopharmacology here is that the more you're on Facebook, the less happy you'll be. It's, it's technically completely true mm-hmm. in, inside your head. Pleasure and happiness are actually, they seem similar, but they actually work on the opposite ends of a spectrum. So let's say you're super stressed and you're thinking about really stressful things in the future, like these things that might happen. And you're thinking about all these things you regret in the past, like, you know, things that have happened that you're stressed about. So you're feeling fucked up. So you're going to go do something super pleasuring, like, like super, like whatever it is for you, you know, you're going to have like, you know, eat four liters of ice cream and, you know, watch Netflix for eight hours and like smoke a pack of cigarettes or mm-hmm. whatever you're going to do. And that amount of pleasure and that amount of dopamine, it feels good. So you become super present with what you're doing with the Netflix and ice cream and whatever it is. Um, drugs is a massive thing here as well, especially drugs that produce a huge amount of dopamine in the brain. Things like um, um, methamphetamines, um, yeah. MDMA, ecstasy, cocaine. Um, they make you super present because you're feeling good. Okay. Yeah. Now, when you're present, you're not thinking about all the things in the future that you're stressed about. And you're not thinking about all the things in the past that you regret that you're stressed about. You're just here. So a huge amount of pleasure makes you super present with your body. Oh, I'm feeling good. Yeah. And that's why we, that's one of the reasons why we try and get into all the pleasure is just so we take away all the emotional flip-flops spread through time. We're just right here with how awesome everything is right now, but it's obviously fleeting and damages our ability to be happy. So, yeah. And the whole economic system is uh, David Suzuki in Canada. He calls it economic brain damage, a system because like, you know, we have a, like a, a car, and um, for example, like a car advertisement, 
recently there was a Holden advertisement. It was celebrating like a, a decade of like you know, Holden's for 40 years or Holden's for 50 years. Celebrate with us by buying another Holden, mm-hmm. you know, and the sort of people who are just going to buy another one are not the sort of people who need another car. They just want to be buying a car as a celebration is goes completely against what cars are for. You know, that's not what cars are for. It's not a status symbol or a, a way of pleasuring yourself. And they sell us these things as like, you look at car ads, you know, especially if there's like beautiful people where they kind of sexualize the car experience, you know, and that you, if you, if you buy this car, you're going to be happy. Your life's going to be happy. If you, if you buy this, this new Porsche, you'll be happy forever. And they sell it. They sell stuff kind of in a way that this is going to make you happy. And the reality is it's going to give you pleasure. And the pursuit of getting that car, thinking about it, going and getting it, that's all kind of geeing you up. It's like when you're going to go mm. like buy some wine. Sometimes the best thing about buying some wine is going and buying it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're like, yeah. Then you have it and you're like, oh. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's just yeah. so bad. I've got a headache. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so they sell us things telling us it's going to make us happy, but it's actually going to give you pleasure. And the more you pursue pleasure, the more hedonistic you become. And the more, again, then you need more. It's like mm-hmm. people who get addicted to, to Facebook and social media. It's like you need more and more and more to get that kind of kick. It's the same with pornography addiction, Netflix addiction. You need more and more to get that original kick. Cocaine addiction, mm-hmm. you need more because you develop a tolerance. Okay? And so the more you do that, the less happy you're going to feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what have been some like key ways that you've created more space from that like you know i guess rat race of <laughs> um like Me? chasing that pleasure yeah and how would you recommend people to also um i guess unwind that that within themselves mm. i mean you can just study yourself and do different things in your life and look at what makes you happy there is a really good book out there that can help you uh, fast track this. It's uh, Lost Connections by Johan Hari. And it's, it's about this. It's basically, it's about intrinsic values and extrinsic values. There's like junk values, you know, like, oh, I'm going to buy this watch. And then people are going to think I'm awesome. That's a junk value, you know? It's like, oh, I'm going to volunteer at the homeless shelter and make food. That's the sort of value that's going to, you know, helping other people. Yeah, that's, that's not a junk value. That's a really good value that's going to make you feel feel good. Not pleasure, happy. Mm-hmm. And so for me personally, um, uh, one of the things that I really enjoy is going new places in nature. Like I do a lot of off-trail hiking um, and going somewhere new. Like I'll see a mountain and I'll be like, oh, you know, what's up there? And just go, you know? And... If people want to come with me, great. If I go by myself, great. It's great. I just love to explore, you know. Um, as well, growing up, I did a lot of sailing. And sailing is one of those things that's like, if you're sailing for fun, you're not going anywhere. You just go over there, and then you go over there, and you go over there. And there's this idea in, in Mandarin or in, in the East called Wu Wei. And sailing is one of those things that's Wu Wei. It's like you're not even using energy. You're not like rowing. You know, oh, I'm rowing because I want to have big biceps. Like that's <laughs> not Wu Wei. And you're putting all this effort in. But the sailing is just like, oh, I'm just going to go. Oh, there's some dolphins. Woo, you know, you just cruise around. 
And, you know, some people get the same thing with fishing is like sailing and fishing. Maybe you don't even want to catch fish, but you just that peace and quiet in a way where you can go into a simple flow state. And, um, another thing for me is making something, um, like making something creative, even making something I don't need to make. Um, you know, with, you know, like woodwork or macrame or carving something, uh, basic mindless making creativity. And so a lot of people don't have creativity in their life. And, and as, as soon as they bring creativity back, you know, painting and drawing or like whatever, mm-hmm. then they start to feel different and they're like, Oh fuck. We are, we're actually neurologically designed to be creative. Yeah. And when you're not, this things start to go wrong. So if you're mm-hmm. not creative, and that's, that's one of the things from Johan Harry's book too. If you're not creative, you're going to get depressed. Yeah. Basically. And it's like, you might go into a, you know, working in a busy cafe or a restaurant and you see that as all the people are making things, people are making drinks, people are making food. You always notice this things, things change. Like people bring a new little kind of creative, their own little touch with things. And, you know, sometimes, oh, that dish is always supposed to look like that. And people are like, oh, you know, keep changing it. <laughs> like if you're a chef, just pumping out just hundreds of meals a day, you can go a bit cuckoo if everything's exactly the same, you know? And so you know, people kind of bring their kind of own creative flair and kind of keep things moving, keep things changing. Same with people who make coffee, you know, and that's where you kind of see that playing out. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, obviously yeah, connection um, for me, a massive part of my lifestyle now. And also, um, when I'm talking with people and with therapy too, is, is creating wholesome non-sexual touch relationships with the people around you where it's like normal to be in contact with each other. It's like to take away any weirdness from it. You know, it's like, you know, we're not hitting on each other, but we're going to like cuddle and watch a movie or, Hey, I'm feeling, I'm having a hard time. Can I have a cuddle? Yep. Awesome. You know, this kind of thing. Um, and really another thing is like really helping people as, as much as I can um, in the community. I really, you know, this, if you feel like you've got extra energy, uh, you know, as, as a young person, you feel like you've got extra energy and you can kind of look around yourself and go, oh, wow, like there's heaps of single parents around me who probably need all kinds of help with things, you know. And the more you tune in or like in, in the community I live in, uh, I live in a multiple occupancy. There's a lot of people here who are in their 60s and 70s who are just like, I do, I do little things for them all the time, you know, just things like they can't do. Mm-hmm. But I have a workshop and it's, it's, it's great. It makes me feel great. Um, yeah. Gardening, you know, getting in connected with the earth and, you know, living in a place, you know, for, for, you know, a seasonal cycle and looking at what you can grow at different times of the year and like planting seeds and like sprouting seeds. There's, I can't think of any kind of person who wouldn't get excited by seeing a seed sprout. It's like, it's, it's in us. It's like, wow, life, you know, amazing. Mm. I planted it. I'm watering it. It's going to grow into a beautiful flower or some beans or something and working with these cycles, you know, and um, I've just been getting into growing flowers, like plant learning what seeds to plant different times of the year and, and just planting flowers and, um, and then watching them drop their seeds and coming up again this, this year by themselves. It's like, it's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> and, um, and then I've got bees. I built a beehive and I've got bees. And then 
I plant flowers and my bees go in the flowers and then they make honey and then I'm making candles and I'm eating honey and it's like, <laughs> uh, like this, this might seem mundane or basic or stupid to someone who's like busy in a city and doing technical business stuff like bees and flowers and growing beans and stuff. And yeah, but it's, it's kind of what I really think it's, it's really, really where it's at is tuning in with the cycles of nature, tuning in, you know, we are, we are a part of nature. We're a part of this earth and tuning in with these cycles, tuning in with the moon cycles, tuning like um, becoming more biodynamic, basically tuning in mm. with, with the cycles. The, the, like when you live on a beach, you start to really tune in with the tide mm-hmm. and what's going on. If you're on a beach every day, you'd be like, Oh, okay. Yeah. That's there. Especially if you're getting shellfish, you're going fishing or you're going in a boat. And like one of the things around here in Byron Bay is you're tuning in with wind cycles and swell cycles. You're like, oh, there's these clouds around. Oh, the wind just stopped. Oh, the surf's going to get really good in like 10 minutes. You know, like just tuning in with these things. And um, yeah, obviously, you know, things like surfing as well. Um, You know, developing, developing a skill like that, you know, skiing, snowboarding, surfing, you know these sorts of things um real stuff Mm -hmm. real stuff makes you happy yeah (laughs) yeah you know yeah yeah it's it's and that's the thing just experiment on yourself does this make me feel good this does not make me feel good everyone's a bit different too yeah 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 Yeah, it's just interesting that like i don't know the modern society has just moved further and further away from from nature you know and a lot of people do live in like apartment buildings that don't even touch the ground you know mm-hmm. like they're on the 20th floor yeah. <laughs> and then they go down to the bottom and like to the floor and it's concrete you know <laughs> they can maybe there's a park in the city and mm-hmm. you know there's always opportunities obviously to connect with nature but i think that yep. yeah like you say it's just you're never going to i don't think like receive full like harmony and balance until you are like physically spending more time in the natural world and like allowing yourself to go to those places and have that process of unwinding and that process of um, just quiet. And, um, and also, yeah, you are very present in that time too. But like you say, it's like not connected to that. It is pleasure, but it's like happy, happy kind of presence too. Like it's yeah, got that yeah. kind of quality to it. That's yeah. more, more natural. And it's not like, Mm-hmm. yeah perhaps you are doing it to seek pleasure but it, yeah it kind of has that um dual opportunity <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah i mean you just mentioned quiet i mean that's that's a that's another one too it's really important i think for us to all get get some quiet as well and that can be really hard in urban environments i i personally believe that it's it's very hard for someone to stay physically and emotionally healthy living in a city for their whole life you, you might feel okay but it's just not the optimal environment for a human. It's just, I just, I, I just fervently believe that. Yeah, I agree. You, you, yeah. you can get by in a city and I'm not saying, you know, it's wrong to live in a city, mm-hmm. but I really feel like if, if we're really going to get down to the roots of everything, um, a lot of people will be moving away from cities. And to be honest, like a lot of people are, are moving away from cities right now. Um, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people are moving here from cities where I'm, where I'm living. Um, two houses just sold just on either side of me that are people from Melbourne are moving up. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard like, yeah, even, even down here too in like Southwest, like 
everything's just getting like snapped up immediately. Like everyone. And it's, I think it's just, obviously it's, it sucks in a way that like, you know, these, these kind of pockets of paradise are getting like, you know, built up and, and bought a lot quicker, but it just displays kind of that movement that's happening and this wake up call that a lot of people are having that like, Oh mm. fuck, like I cannot live in the city. Like when shit goes down, like I don't want to be in a city, you know, where do I actually want to be? I want to be somewhere with more space for me and my family or, you know, mm. and it, um, yeah, I think it's definitely, it is a blessing and I hope that we see more and more people moving away from city environments, but obviously that's going to be a happen. huge transition. Yeah. 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 Cause it's like that, me- that machine that cities are like has to completely collapse. And I don't know whether it will or not. I feel like there's like two different trajectories that are going on like simultaneously. There's like the hyper technology, AI, like, you know, all of that that's going on. And then there's also like, like we experience within our like work, um, with connecting more with nature and also working with like ceremonial plants and this sort of thing. There's like that, that pathway that's like, Oh wow. Like I just want to heal as much as I can. I want to rebalance as much as I can. I want to get closer to closest to nature that I can, you know, closest to my natural state. So Mm. it's like, it's very interesting to kind of witness, both of those trajectories and and how we play into both of them because i i'm still obviously with this like you know technology world and having this you know and i i see the value of it too and i that's why i know that it's important to still be connected in that way to to bring about change and you know inspiration and all of these things that we're talking about that perhaps someone really needs to hear right now (laughs) that's going to create a shift in their life and Mm -hmm. so it's it's very interesting to like play with both of those those worlds but obviously inherently like we do want the natural way and that's what we hear when we're in ceremony or we're in silence like that's just what naturally comes as truth you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one. Like actually, we, where you are, where I am, is um, so Margaret River and Byron Bay. I'm not sure if, if you eat food in Australia, you're going to see Margaret River written on a lot of really yummy food. And you're going to see Byron Bay written on a lot of really yummy food. And the reason for this is they both got water, you know. And um, you can actually look on Google Earth and look at the, the, the capes um, where you are. And it's like this amazing green zone in in western australia like fuck that's green <laughs> and and then you can look at like you know, if you drive from say melbourne when it's dry as well when you drive from say melbourne to sydney and up to byron you see a lot of dry country and you get to about Ballingen, and everything just goes emerald and up you know up to about you know brisbane i guess you know things you know even the gold coast is pretty dry but like this area is wet, this water, the things grow really, really well. And so it, there's an innateness in the body where it's like, oh, well, the, the global situation's a bit, a bit fucked up. I want to be somewhere where their food grows and where it rains. Like it's, it's, it's actually no brainer, you know? And um, yeah, so these areas yeah, are becoming more popular and yeah, it's, it's definitely a thing. Uh, we're pretty lucky in Australia that there's actually a huge amount of, of countryside that is really, really hospitable and the temperature is pretty groovy. You know, pretty much the entire East coast is, is pretty awesome. And mm-hmm. um, the Victorian coast and Tasmania, um, fine with Queensland as well. Like the Cairns area is, 
the amount of like the, the Ken's tableland is you can, you can grow almost anything in the world from any climate up there. Like it's, it's, it's an amazing place. So like there's, there's a huge amount. There's, there's a, there's a lot of space for people in Australia if, if they don't really want to be living in cities and it's definitely a, tr- a transition that is, that is, seems to be happening. And um, yeah, people's values are changing as well. Like, Oh, I'm worried about a virus. Well, I hope I have good immunity. Well, maybe I'll stop drinking tap, tap water in Melbourne, you know, um, and start thinking about the sort of water I'm drinking, you know, exercise, what food I'm eating, you know, have I ever done a detox or things like that? Um, and just look, look, this, this very simple down to earth, basic literature on immunity. And the, the, the biggest enemy of immunity is stress. You know, that's, it's that simple. So it's like, Oh, what, what stresses me in my life? Oh, that, that, and that. And yeah, you know, you mentioned plant medicines and things like that. And I work extensively with San Pedro cactus, which has um, been growing in Australia for at least 50 years. And this is a cactus, big tall cactus. There's many varieties. It grows. It actually comes from the Andes in South South America. That's where it grows natively. You, know, you have, you have valleys in Argentina and Peru, Chile that are filled with these cactuses. And you have you know, like almost massive shamanistic or um, sh- shamanistic cultures based around this this one plant. Yeah. Where, where you know it's very normal for a community to work with this plant to grow it to ingest it, and that you know in our culture we have we have all these weird fucked up taboos in our system from the Christian church. Look, like, oh, this plant's bad you know you have the plant you have a bad experience this plant's dangerous and you know and some people you know they might have a bad experience with a with a psychedelic like a cactus or a mushroom something like that maybe it's a bad environment but maybe there's just some bad stuff in them that needs to happen some bad things need to come out some bad memories some bad emotions and they think that the plant was bad and it's like no the plant's just getting something out of you you might feel it you might see it but it's actually cleaning your body you know and so every single plant on the planet is a divine spirit that loves you, you know? So there's no, there's no bad plants. There's no demonic plants. There's no like, what someone say? There's oh, this plants used for witchcraft. This, this is none of this is true. You know, this, and if you look at the cosmology of Rudolf Steiner and he says that, you know, we, we dreamed the earth, we dreamed the, the minerals, we dreamed the plants, we dreamed the animals, and the, the first thing to come to earth was human consciousness and it, it dreamed the earth. And the last thing to take physical form was human consciousness. So we dreamed it all before we even came, you know, in, in physical form. And, and this is backed up by quantum physics, biocentrism, the biocentric universe that consciousness came first. This is backed up by Dr. Michael Newton's work, Life in Between Lives, where people are, are dreaming plants. And so, yeah, yeah, we did. We, we dreamed these cactuses to be here. And the cool thing about San Pedro in particular is that you can't have too much. It's very healthy and it's, um, it's, it's a very, very loving consciousness. And you can have experiences with these plants where you kind of, you kind of look at it afterwards. And you're like, it's like, it's like you're a person. It's like you're a wise person who just knows everything. And but you're looking at a plant. And so it's, it can kind of change the way we perceive reality or nature let's just say mm-hmm. and the cool thing about san pedro is that it tunes into you exactly and will explain something to you maybe through visuals or maybe almost like you can hear words or 
through like a like almost like having a dream let's say and it'll explain something to you about yourself or about your life or about being a human that's completely relevant to you how you think and it's something that you're ready for at that time in your life it doesn't give you a experience that's super challenging to the point that like oh i'm never going to do that again but it will often give you a challenge that you're ready for you know like something difficult that you can handle and you're like oh cool that was a cool challenge and now i'm, I'm a better person and so it's it's so 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 intelligent and it can help show you things about yourself or give you new ideas or things that you know um and also give you a different assessment on your past you know like sometimes you a lot of these plants will especially mushrooms will give you like you know you, you might you might hate your mum and and your whole life you're just filled with the seething rage you know for a fucking couple of decades and then you have a mushroom and the mushroom's like yo you know she's cool she's just like you she's just doing the best you can you're doing the best you can we're doing the best we can it's like under difficult circumstances and she had difficult circumstances and her mum was difficult you know and you're like oh that's yeah that's fair enough yeah she's cool grandma's cool i'm doing my best it's all good and you let it go you just change your attitude yeah that you had all the seeding rage about and this is why you know they're getting such incredible results with the the legal trials with psilocybin is you get someone who's depressed or unwell and they change their attitude to their life and then they're not depressed and they only need to do it once and they study these people for years after they're fine and i'm good and cool and whereas an antidepressant you need to keep taking it just so yeah. you're, numb, you're just numb to the thing and you don't you know, change your life or change your attitude and so that that introspection into the past can be really really cool mm-hmm. so yeah for me san pedro is great is that you know different types of people have different experiences but also helps clean people too. Some people, um, you know, they throw up, but would say get well, you know, so, you know, um, energies or toxins and things like that can come out of them. And um, some of these plants and particularly um, the, the, the frog as well, uh, Cambo, the frog has it, we're talking about biopeptides here and the biopeptide in the frog, it, what it does is um, Cambo is a, a frog from the Amazon that people use for cleansing. And uh, when it's taken, there's a biopeptide in the frog that links with a receptor side in your brain and your brain goes, cool, we're going to clean the body. And then toxins in your organs get basically biffed into your stomach. And then you scull a bunch of water and you throw it up and you don't throw up water. You throw up all this stuff, you know? And so your body's, it's a natural, it helps you clean. And the same with San Pedro, there's biopeptides in there that help clean the body in very unique ways and all, all different psychedelics that can be purgative work in this way. Peyote can work in this way. Ayahuasca can work in this way. And so as a society and as a, as a global community, we have plants here that we've, we've dreamed into being as our, you know, our, our ancestors in the past, but you know, time's not really real. And these plants have had the, um, the intelligence to go, oh, we're probably going to be really needed in a few decades there, but we've got to grow. And so someone who's working with these plants, you know, in Chile or something, plants like, hey, take me to Australia or give me to that Australian who's going to Australia on the plane. And it could be 1972. Hey, take these, plant them. Oh, okay, cool. We plant them. And then like, you know, down the track now, Mm -hmm. these medicines are here, ready to go. And that's, I really like, I like thinking about it like that, that 
um, they say that ayahuasca is a, was a response to like a global situation. Um, sorry, ayahuasca's movement around the earth was a response to a global situation where consciousness needed to change, especially in our relationship in regards to the earth or the, the mother or, you know, so, and ayahuasca decided to go around the earth and told people who were working with it in the Amazon, take me around the earth, train people who live in other places. We give me, you know, take the cuttings, take the seeds, plant me in other countries. And it's been an amazing success. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of these plants are, are, are spreading on purpose to help our, how we perceive things, help how we feel about ourselves and the universe, the world around us, how we feel about the future, how we feel about the past. And when we change perception, we change reality. We change the dreaming, you know, and we can dream a better, better planet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes the main offering I, I, I bring is, is, is teaching. And that is, um, I, I travel around teaching my, my therapy system. So it's called attunement therapy and you can, you can find out more about it at attunementtherapy.com. Um, you can also read you know, great testimonials from people who've done the training or people who've had sessions on Facebook, like Facebook slash attunement therapy or Instagram slash attunement therapy. And we've also got great videos too. So you can go to the, the Facebook page and there's heaps of videos there. It's just, you know, me talking about it basically. Um, and yeah, um, I also offer sessions, um, when I'm traveling, but I also offer sessions here in the, the Byron Shire in, um, you know, on the East coast, um, just South of the Gold coast. So with, with attunement therapy and becoming a practitioner, um, it's, it's really cool for people who even don't have any therapeutic training or experience. Um, the, the, the technique's really simple and it's all about what you don't do, but it's also a screening process. I'm also checking everyone out to see if I think that you're an appropriate person to be holding people in such an intimate way. It's, 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 it invokes a massive amount of responsibility in the body. And, um, you know, it's, you're, you're dealing pretty much just with very vulnerable people. And, you know, I'm, I'm really passionate about getting this, especially into things like uh, rehab. Mm-hmm. Uh, palliative care people are dying aged care disability care uh, all of the ways this helps reduce stress in these areas is really special um, hospitals um, domestic violence um, you know drop-in centers um, sexual violence um, centers as well with you know refuges and places like that where it's which it's becoming more normalized where the staff can hold people who are having a crisis because um, the body needs to be held when it's in crisis, but we, our system doesn't offer that. And to me, this is a massive, massive problem. I've also, you know, for, for example, had a discussion with a team in India who are running a, a center, a refuge center for young women who've been, um, underage women who've been sex trafficked. And the center is just run by women. It's, it's one of these places where there's no men on the, in the compound and helping train the, the, the female staff there to, to, to be able to hold the young women and help. Basically, it helps reset the nervous system on a healthy touch that they have not been getting, mm-hmm. you know, and that the touch can be safe and that kind of thing, you know, and, and just helping that kind of rehabilitation. Um, and, yeah, like, so what, what I'm always um, looking for is for people who want to host a training, 
anywhere in the world. Um, I should be in California right now, um, in Colorado. I would have been in Norway in July and um, Bali in May. But uh, yeah, just chilling here. But um, at the moment, um, I'm teaching in Byron Bay in November and the Sunshine Coast in December. Um, there's still space in those trainings if you're in those areas. And it's a, it's a four-day it's a four day all day, every day training. And um, yeah, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, at the, at the moment for me in my life, I'm really trying to um, slow down even more and just spend more time doing those, those things like, you know, helping people as much as I can, but I'm also trying to help my bees as much as I can in my <laughs> garden, you know, and just, 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 just being out in nature and just connecting with people. And I think a big thing about this coronavirus time, like, look, look at all the, you know, the, the flight shutting down your planes fly really fast. You know, everything's slowing down. It's like, we're all slowing down. It's like a massive wake up call that we all need to slow down a bit and stop, stop rushing. So me too. I'm really just, um, I'm, you know, I'm on the internet a lot less and, um, you know, playing music more and, you know, learning songs and yeah, you know, just, just hanging out with friends and family, hanging out with kids a lot too is, is a massive one. Mm-hmm. for me yeah yeah mm. but yeah you can find my um my other work as well is um a chim- uh, an opportunity to heal.com so you've got like podcasts all my other interviews and um videos and uh, i have a soundcloud page and so yeah there's the two websites achievementtherapy.com and an opportunity heal.com and both those websites have all the links to youtube and facebook and everything like that yeah because yeah, you were hosting some interviews too like a kind of podcast style i mm-hmm. remember listening to the yeah. ones that you did with like a yeah. teacher of ours quatley yeah so if anyone's interested in more like plant medicine exploration those ones are really good resources because mm-hmm. they're like you did like two or three hour well, long like I think, were, I think it's five and, five um, yeah there was a lot yeah and each those, one was very rich yeah. yeah those have really helped a lot of people all around the planet yeah yeah so you were really blessed to have done those interviews and you know the funny thing about those interviews is some people have even taken the sound out and made techno with it yeah. <laughs> his, his te- i've seen a few like different songs with his, his you know up, it'll yeah, like yeah, pop yeah. up on spotify and i'm like what yeah, like yeah, that's yeah, quite yeah, here yeah yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah beautiful yeah i'm really grateful for um and feeling inspired too as someone who like i've started formally studying counseling most like recently um Mm -hmm. started my degree at the start of the year and like i have a lot of issues with a lot of the ways that it's you know i mean it's really beautiful and obviously um i still want to like i think i'm doing it more so to kind of just have that as a base baseline kind of um certificate in a way um but i would really love to add more of these modalities onto it because like we've expressed in like this whole interview like it's just yeah there's so much about the model that is just lacking in (laughs) true true possibility for healing and um yeah so i think i i hope and um you know for myself and for other practitioners that you know, to add these different modalities onto their talk therapy or, you know, whatever other therapy mm. that they're doing would just like add a more, you know, just well-rounded and, and rich experience for clients. And uh, I think, you know, for me, I just feel like I would love to have a lot of different tools in my belt, you know, to kind of like mm. when you're with someone, just have that possibility of like, oh, okay, maybe 
we could we could ask them if they might be open to doing it you know this sort of like attunement therapy style or you know just having like yeah options, these yeah. options yeah because we just yeah. have these one like i'm going in for this you know and and um you know you never know what people are going to respond to and mm-hmm. um yep. i hope that That's we right. see that in the future you know more integrated therapists who are open and willing to and studied in in different areas of mm-hmm. of healing mm-hmm. yeah, yeah the, the mainstream system's interesting like with um all of the liability and legal kind of stuff in the uh one of my students at the moment she's worked extensively for queensland health and when she was inquiring about doing my course she said is it accredited course and i said that i don't know of a medical governing body or a group of people who are certified to accredit my course, who actually have the, the, the wisdom or the know-how to even say yes or no, mm-hmm. because the, everything inside the system um, doesn't support what I'm doing, you know, and, and that doesn't mean I'm not going to do it. That just means I'm, I don't, I don't acknowledge the mainstream psychiatric system as intelligent at all really because they're ignoring so many fundamental needs of the the, the, the human body mm-hmm. and it's it's, uh, it's so if, you know when people when people you know for, from that system if they believe in you know mass medication you know anyone from that system i just don't i don't really acknowledge them as um to, <laughs> i don't acknowledge any of their uh opin- people have strong opinions about what i'm doing but i just uh, basically i just have to um ignore it because mm-hmm. I know what I'm doing works and I know that what, I'm, what my students doing works and it's, I just work like that. Yeah. I'm not trying to prove anything to anyone, you know, mm-hmm. it's just about just, just helping people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And you have that like direct evidence from people's direct experiences and transformations, yeah. like yeah. to speak for itself, you know, yep. Yep. and if it's helping them, then that's really what matters. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's really cool to do as well, like that people can go and do a, a four day course and then go out there and literally save lives. You know, mm-hmm. um, we've had people who are going to abandon their children. Then they get a session and then they decide not to, you know, this, this kind of stuff. It's awesome. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's mm. super rewarding. It's, it's so rewarding and such an honor to, to hold people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, thank you so much for this conversation. And um, I hope whoever's listening received whatever they needed from it too. It was like really potent information and, you know, very valid for, the phase and the time that we're in this year and how challenging it's been. And yeah, I hope it's just a phase. I mean, who knows? Like they say like the new normal next year. I mean, like we never know, like it could get even more crazy, but like you said, I think overall it's like having these tools in your belt, you know, and these, um, these practices or basically just spending more time in nature and in whatever way and within your own inner nature through creativity Mm -hmm. and artistry. And that's so much about, you know, what I'm about and what this platform Mojo Mecca is about too. It's all about like, you know, developing, um, yeah, creativity and art as healing. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, thank you so much. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Have a beautiful day.